0: thank you. Morning. So I am going to share a quick WhatsApp re- uh, conversation I had recently. I'm just going to be backing up, it's not because you smell, it's because of the noise. Oh, let me go to the handheld. Let me share a quick, oh, a recent WhatsApp message with you that I had. So, hey mate, I'm going to 40 at 8 today to do masking tape for packing. Can I have the code? This is me, one, two, three, four. Do you have the packing photos? No. Thanks mate, sorry, thanks Nick, you're a hero. Now, frankly, this message upset me. I don't need sarcasm first thing in the morning. I have a four-year-old for that. Maybe a little bit of context might help you understand my frustration. So here at Burgate, underneath the stage, we've got some new packing boxes. And for those who haven't seen them yet, it's a little bit like a game of Tetris. Unlike Tetris, rather than getting points for lines, you get one step closer to getting home for lunch in time before the four-year-old eats all the good stuff. We used to have photos of the layout, but over time, the kind of format's changed, the equipment's changed, and no one really knows who's got the photos anymore so we just shuffle stuff around until it fitted then some bright spark thought oh you know what we could use some coloured masking tape to identify exactly where each box should go this is where this conversation comes into play it's now sunday morning jen and i have both had a bit of a late night and i'm fighting off my hay fever filled eyes to get in time get to church on time for the worship setup I'm also meant to be teaching a new guy on the PA desk this morning and so my head is already full of, uh, full of capacity. Then I get a sarcastic message because I don't have the photos. I know I'm a hero, you don't have to tell me. Anyway, I get into church and the guy is beavering away. I I think in that moment, oh, you know what, I'm going to confront him. And I think, oh, no, what, No, what, I'll do it later. So I left it till later, and two hours later, it dawned on me. He's saying I'm a hero for telling him the key code. My complete lack of effort in sending him the photos hasn't phased him at all. He's just grateful that he could start work before everyone else arrived. I'm suddenly feeling a lot less like a hero and much more like a hot-headed fool. And I'm sorry to say, this is a much better picture of my natural character at work. So, for those who don't know me, I'm Nick, and I'm a hot-headed fool. It is my pleasure this morning to give you a guided tour of two fruits of the Spirit, goodness and kindness. For those who like milestones in the preach, I have two authentic and original titles for you. first one is goodness, and the second one's kindness. I'm going to reference scriptures quite quickly as I go through, so unless you are ninja quick at thumbing through your Bible, can I suggest you take notes or listen to it back online a bit later. So, first up, goodness. What is goodness? Goodness is a measure of good. Ready for point two? But this presents a problem to us because I know for certain that at least Jen and I have two different, different, differing opinions on what constitutes good. When I've done a good job of washing up, Jen and I both know that she's got some more washing up to do. And when I've done a good job of hoovering, she'll point out the 80% of the bits that I've missed. And don't get me wrong, it's not because she's mean, she's absolutely right. It's just our levels of good differ. It's not just her though. My friends might say that The Lord of the Rings, The Twin Towers is a good movie. An IMDB rating of 8.8 would also suggest that the majority agree with this. I say it's three hours of my life I'm never getting back again. So maybe it's my interpretation of good that's not so good. So what is good then? Nothing can be good unless we have a universal benchmark that everyone agrees on. If human judgment of good is so varied and unreliable... What does God offer us as a litmus test? Mark chapter 10 offers us a view of a rich man approaching Jesus. He's looking for answers. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. So that's where we will begin. Let's see what a good God looks like. In Romans 6, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me take you back to July in 1995. Back then, I would have said I was a good guy. I was nice to most people, maybe not so my parents, but I would have said I was doing okay. Being naive i didn 't realize the debt I was in. Should the good Bank of God have sent me a statement, I would have seen the shocking lack of funds, not only a lack of credit, but a debt that amounts to a lifetime of sin. Even next to my mortgage, that is a significant amount of debt. They warn you, don't you, don't they, when you take out a mortgage, that if you don't make the payments, they could repossess your house. You'll be left homeless if the money doesn't make it back to the bank. We find our standing with God in a similar situation. Our sin leaves us with an unpayable debt, at least unpayable in our lifetime. I don't remember being told that when I was born. The midwife definitely didn't tell me. There's definitely no contract stapled to my birth certificate. I don't particularly want to get repossessed. The thought of losing my eternal home in heaven is dreadful. The sin which we're born into can take a lifetime to find freedom from. The price is made clear. Should we want to clear the debt? It costs a life. A life needs to be paid for the price of a life spent being bad. I might not have seen it as being bad, but I was falling far short of the good benchmark that God has set. That that benchmark defines whether I reach my heavenly home or somewhere awful. Thank God for His goodness to us. Why do I thank God for His goodness? Well, God has given me sufficient breath to wake up each morning. God alone has kept me alive. He's kept me going for another day. I'm glad to hear you all elated about that. Thanks for the support. Um, but up until that moment in '95, I'd seen 2,924 mornings. Now, I use the scale of mornings rather than the times I'd woken up because I reckon if you talk to my mum that I would have woken up several thousand times before I was two. Um, so 2,924 days in debt. Each day, the debt getting greater. For 2,924 days... God gave me breath, even though I was a sinner and wasn't following him, by his goodness alone. I was unrepentant, unsaved, and blissfully unaware, and yet he still chose to give me life. See, it was a choice. God isn't obligated or contracted to keep me alive. He gave me life, and it is his to take away. I woke on that 2,925th day, which happened to be the 7th of July 1995, as like any other morning. That afternoon, God made the decisive move. See, I thought I'd made the decision, but there was no decision to make. How could I not take the offer? My debt in exchange for his freedom, as I took Jesus to be my saviour and my king. In that moment, he called me a son, and his goodness flooded over me. Don't get me wrong, his goodness had been there before. But in that moment spent with Jesus, I inherited the whole reservoir. See, Jesus isn't a creditor or a bank issuing a loan. Because both those, those, uh, both those situations require repayment. Jesus pays the price outright. And it costs me nothing. His undeserved grace covers every part of my debt. Where before stood a void, one which I could never repay, now stands an eternal inheritance. Today, I stand before you with 13,174 mornings behind me, although there was an incident with the chocolate last night that nearly ended that. Um, 13,174 days longer than I deserve because of God's goodness to me. Imagine I had a meter down my side. Imagine you could see increments running from my feet to my head. Somewhere, most likely entangled in my leg hair, would be a fine line that would indicate my goodness level. In my mind, that level is a blue color for no other reason than I like the color blue. But when I look at this scale, I can see no blue. No fluid in the tank, no level on the meter. It's bone dry, not a drop to be seen, because I'm not good. By comparison to Jesus' selfless, genuine and authentic goodness, there's not a single pixel of blue to be seen. Nothing I can do, say or pay can make me good. can't make the level rise. No works, no words, no contents of my wallet can add goodness to me. Jesus' goodness meant that he died so that I could be washed clean and made good by his sacrifice. When my Heavenly Father looks at me, he sees Jesus in my place. That's what Jesus' goodness is all about, standing in our place. It doesn't matter where my level sits. Because Jesus' goodness makes up for my badness. Looking back at the conversation I shared with you at the start, it reinforces the unfortunate tale of our natural character. It's not in our nature to be good. Born into sin and sin we remained until Jesus grabs hold of us. Before, when I tried it in my own strength, it wasn't goodness at all. It was self serving, pride and selfishness tainting my human effort because I want people to respond to me in a certain way or to make myself feel good. Our sin has paid us handsomely in a guaranteed future of death and separation from God. Until that moment, we welcome Jesus in. In his goodness, Jesus paid that price, our life of debt. When he submitted to the Father and allowed himself to be nailed on the cross, when he died and was resurrected, the power of sin over us was broken. In his goodness, Jesus paid the debt, the price hanging over our heads. Meaning we can stand debt free and inherit the kingdom of of heaven. No longer are we considered debtors. We can now live free and without fear and count his riches as our own. When that bank statement hits our doormat or pings into our inbox, there's no longer any red writing. It's all in the black and to a value that is incomprehensible. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now... We live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed in the last day for all to see. When we look at this meter now, there's something on it that we didn't notice before. There is, in fact, a level. No blue whatsoever. But there is red. Blood red. Filling to overflow. The meter is being constantly topped up. Not with a pipette, a jug or bucket, but a high-pressure fire hydrant. It's going everywhere. Flowing down our sides, splashing people who stray too close. Undeserved and unceasing. Jesus' goodness alone makes us good through no actions of our own other than to call him our saviour and our king not only does jesus stand in our place but other stuff happens too drawing us near to his side his character begins to rub off on us scripture does tell us that we should try to be good Uh, micah 6 8 no O people the lord has told you what is good and this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our Lord. Before long, I notice a purple level starting to rise, starting at the bottom and rising daily, slowly but surely. Not blue, because that would mean I've achieved it on my own, but purple, red, mixing with the blue, because the Holy Spirit prompts me to, to be good, when the opportunity to be bad presents itself. We're becoming more like a saint and less like a sinner every day. Sometimes we might not feel it, but by spending time around Jesus, his goodness rubs away at our badness. The fruit of the spirit goodness is a gift from our heavenly father. As fruit is sweet in our mouths, so the fruits of the spirit are sweetness to our soul. As others watch, they get to know us and also get to reap the benefits of the sweetness. Psalm 38, 4's, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those that take refuge in him. These gifts should change our mindset. With God's goodness surrounding us, we now begin to desire to do good, and not from our own strength, the strength that has been given to us in abundance, and we get to share the overflow. This overflow of goodness that other people get caught up in it too. Most people don't expect the goodness. Most people are content if you return the trolley back to the trolley park, but my unsaved colleagues, my friends, even random strangers, they get a faceful when I'm around. Not because I'm a hero, because I'm not, but because I have God's goodness overflowing from me. It's having God's goodness in us that leads us to love those around us. Galatians 6:10. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity. We should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. He instructs us to take every opportunity to be good to those around us, going the extra mile to share God's goodness with them. Not necessarily with words, but by outliving the goodness in our actions. We should start, as the verse says, here in the family of faith. We shouldn't view church as a place where we must put on a good face and show others how perfect we are. Church is a training ground. Church is a place with soft crash mats underneath. It's a safe place to practice, to try new things, because I'd much rather try something out here and fall short, where there's an abundance of grace and love, than out there where there's not. Here, alongside God's family, I can learn and be encouraged. There's a surprising effect of Jesus' goodness, and it's not just a gift for the receiver. Other people get affected by it too, even if I'm not being intentional about being good. His goodness isn't restricted by my naturally goodless character, because God's goodness is amazing. God's goodness saved a hot headed fool from a folly. When I wanted to confront my brother about the sarcasm that wasn't, it was the goodness of God from within me that made me stop and think and delay. Delaying meant my brain could process and realise his actual intent. God's goodness is something that reassures, reassures us. As Jeremiah tells us, it was the goodness of God. Sorry, it was We have a hope and a future in him. It's something that encourages us. We can see our previously bad character becoming more like Jesus. And it's something that blesses others too. They get to enjoy the goodness flowing out of me. Milestone two, kindness. Kindness is working for the benefit of others and not ourselves. Kindness comes from a heart response. We are loved by Jesus and through his goodness, he has been kind to us. Jesus didn't have to save us, but he did. I've got a quote from a recent devotional... And it reads like this. Kindness comes from a heart posture of gratitude, but also sincerity in treating one another with respect and kindness. Sorry, and niceness. Kindness is more than an action when you interact with people. It's how you present yourself amongst other people. Your character that shines through can be dressed in the posture of kindness. Kindness makes people feel good, but for the right reasons. It can unlock doors and situations like no other method. Like the other fruits of the Spirit, it all begins with love. Love is at the root of kindness. If we get love right, if we get, cent- if we get it centred in our field of view, then the rest tends to follow naturally. You'll naturally find yourself being kinder, gentler, more, kind, more joyful and more self-controlled. It's easy to be kind to those who are nice to us. It's so much harder when the other person grates on us, challenges us, annoys us, or gets in our way. Some people might find this challenging, but so is this verse in Ephesians 4. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Furthermore, Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And that's hard sometimes. It could be hard at home, it could be hard at work, it could be even harder at church. The one place where we're supposed to be perfect, right? But we don't have to be perfect. We just have to aim for it. Because we know daily we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's 2 Corinthians 3. The great thing about our church family, the culture that has been created and developed here at New Life, is that everyone wants everyone else to succeed. Not only succeed, but to win. Jed and I have had the privilege of being guided in our marriage by Tim and Karen, and parts of our education program with them included the love languages. This world-famous series of books shows how love is at the source of all we do. These five acts of love generally sum up how people express and respond to love. If I love people, which is what Jesus calls me to do, how do I share kindness in a way that builds others up? Let's have a quick look at these love languages then. Quality time, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Some will instantly recognise which is theirs. I, like others, find myself spread across two or three. For someone to be kind to me, for example, I resonate with quality time, words of affirmation and physical touch. So someone offering me their time Saying thanks or giving me a hug means loads more than them giving me, offering to wash my car or give me a bottle of wine. Not to say that I wouldn't be thankful, but those first three would mean more to me. In the same vein, I know I'm good at verbally encouraging people, giving hugs and giving up my time for people. The reverse is also true. I am a rubbish gift giver. Somehow, I get incredibly stressed about choosing the right gift, and it all just descends into the wrong reasons. Take my friend Tom, who's not here this morning. Let's say he's done an admirable job on driving the PA desk one morning, so I know he responds well to quality time and words of affirmation. So I'll make that the center point of how I encourage him. I balance up where my strengths are and try to cater for his. Now, in this case, we're quite similar. Let's have a quick stroll poll, stroll poll here this morning. Who's in which category? As we do this, I encourage you to look around, make a note, and lodge it in your brain. This is how they respond to how, and how you can be kind to them. So, hands up who appreciates quality time? Words of affirmation, so encouraging verbally. Who likes to receive a gift? Acts of service, physical touch. No need to be awkward about it. (laughs) This is how you get to be kind to people and make the kindness stick. I assure you, it's not beating the system or faking the kindness. It's making sure you clearly communicate the kindness that we want to share. God made us respond in different ways. Therefore, we need to communicate in ways that they understand. To accommodate others is showing them kindness. So how are you going to change the way you approach people this week? I don't suggest you ask everyone what their love language is, because you'll get some weird looks. But you can often understand how they respond and how they give. Do they offer their time? Maybe offer yours in return. Do they encourage verbally? Then reaffirm them. Some people are difficult to read and you'll have to try in different ways but when I get to church next week I can't wait for you my brothers and sisters to tell me of your stories of how you got to be kind this week. The argument that was diffused because kindness was allowed to reign. The friendship developed because time was given. A random act of kindness that made someone smile and wonder why. Because we all have it within, inside of us. The Holy Spirit is a great gift giver. It's not something that you have to save up for. But it's something you must work for. Kindness doesn't always come naturally to us. Like learning to cook an omelette, there have been some mistakes. I've certainly had my fair share of rubbery eggs. I've walked away from situations and I immediately realise I should have been kinder. When we look at scripture, we see that Jesus didn't wait for others to show kindness first or to be asked. He was kind, straight off the cuff. He didn't expect kindness or anything at all in return. We've seen through our, throughout our series in Mark that Jesus often healed the sick. From driving out demons, casting out a fever, cleaning leprosy, restoring strength and mobility from paralysis, restoring a withering hand, the, women who, the woman who bled, and the list goes on. And that is just the healings. What about when Jesus ate with sinners? It's not the healthy that need a doctor. Jesus recognised the need and showed them kindness. When Peter cut off, the ear, uh, cut off the ear of the priest's servant at his arrest, Jesus immediately stopped Peter and heals the servant. He was kind because that is his character. God is good. So just as God is good, God is also kind. As his character robs off on us... It becomes our character. Let kindness be at the forefront of all that we do. Look for someone who isn't themselves, who isn't engaging or seems a little off. Kindness will mean different things to each one of us. For me, it's saying thank you to the person who's put loads of effort into achieving something or going out of their way for me. It's saying well done or thank you to the worship band, the PA or the laptop driver because they've done a great job this morning. It's encouraging those that come out to the front, be it a preach, a testimony, a word from God. Because that can be a scary thing to do. It's buying a box of chocolates for someone who's having a rough time at the moment. Delaying going home so you can catch up with someone you haven't seen for a while. It's quickly offering to pray or to send a text or to make a call. This is kindness. Not for our own sake, but for their good. It happened to me a few, uh, a few weeks ago. I'd had a bit of a tough week at work. and I was just worn out. I didn't say anything because I was all right. But Alex and Beth, they noticed something was up. And without preamble, they offered to pray for me. It took them two minutes. But it changed the way I approached Monday. That is kindness in action. It's not self-seeking, but it looks to build up others and those around us. It's taking the time to check in and to pray out. And that's what I love about NLCC. Our roots are deep in Jesus. Set deep in love and the culture rubs off on people. People notice when you're around them because God's goodness and kindness splash them full on in the face. Let our first words and our first actions, let them be rooted in kindness. Be kind and see how it opens up conversations and opportunities to share God's goodness. There is a saying, isn't there? Repay kindness with kindness. That's great and all, but can I offer you a challenge? Be the first to be kind. Be the first to offer an encouraging word. And be the first to offer a quick prayer for a situation. Offer your time, your words, your experience and your stuff. Look around and see where the need is. Kindness is rooted in love. Therefore, by paraphrasing 1 Corinthians 13 we can safely say that love is, uh, sorry, kindness is patient. Kindness doesn't make us jealous. Kindness doesn't let us boast, be proud or rude. Kindness does not demand its own way. Kindness is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Kindness doesn't rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Kindness should never give up, never lose faith, is always hopeful and will endure through everything. Can I invite the band up? So as I close, how do we apply this to us? I've got a few headlines here. So what if you feel that you're still in debt? Jesus told them this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Will he leave the 99? Won't he leave the 99 in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Please, don't go from here this morning without speaking to the greatest financial advisor, Jesus. Only he can clear your debt and give you everything in return. If you can't put your finger on the moment you welcome Jesus into your life, then let's talk together and set that straight. He cares so deeply about you, and so do we. If you're feeling that you could be, you feel that you could be kinder, then can I encourage you to turn to the person next to you and go, look, will you pray for me over this? And if nothing else, then consider this. Strive to be good. Let Jesus' character rub off on you as you spend time with him. Don't assume people know they're doing a good job. Encourage them and reaffirm it to them. Be the first to be kind. Be the first to say something that encourages and uplifts. I had two words of knowledge while I was preparing this, and I feel there's maybe you know, a couple of people who are feeling this. So this is, if this is you, then please do come and speak to me or Mark um, throughout. So I want to say we have a wonderful preaching team. We are so blessed to have a really decent preaching team who deliver quality content. But that quality content only comes because those people labour over the scriptures to build up to the church. Take a second to pat them on the back and to say well done and thank you. Be quick to encourage and slow to criticise. When I spoke about debt earlier, I feel that maybe there's someone who is really struggling financially. You don't need to speak to me, uh, but I assure you the church is here to help. We We offer CAP courses that run throughout the year which deal directly with financial issues. And we can also signpost you to more specialised help. Don't go home in the same headspace that you arrived in. God is using this moment to speak directly to you because he cares for you. As we worship, let this one truth resonate. God is good. Let's thank him for that and thank him for his kindness.